everybody. Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot Accessibility Hour edition with myself, Robbie Wagner, my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter III. And our guest today is Amber Hines. How's it going, Amber? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So before we jump into whiskey here, if you could give everybody a, a little few sentences about who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm the CEO of a company called Equalize Digital. We specialize in WordPress accessibility, and we have a software product called Accessibility Checker that audits WordPress websites for accessibility problems. Cool, cool. Very cool. Well, we'll definitely jump more into that later, but we always have to start with whiskey. Mm -hmm. So today we have the Weller Special Reserve, which we will... It doesn't have a cork, but we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> Is that really loud and obnoxious? Yeah, a little bit. This one makes me angry, though, because, like, this used to be a $20 bottle of whiskey, like, 10 years ago, maybe not even that, five years ago. And because of allocation and all that stuff, people got wise to its uh, nice mash bill. And it's, like, sort of like a cousin to uh, Pappy Van Winkle. So there's the Special Reserve, their normal one. There's the Antique 107, so it's 107 proof, same mash bill. And then they have a 12-year aged one. And uh, these were all very approachable, affordable whiskeys. And then people started, like, bunkering and buying, you know, 12 bottles at a time and all that kind of stuff. So then price goes up. Yep. Supply and demand. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not to bash it, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Smells good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get some lemon peel in the smell. Mm. Yep. Amber, you know we make this up every time, right? Yeah. It's all just like... Yeah, it's arbitrary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what does it remind you of? Mm. <laughs> yeah. What are the arbitrary adjectives that you could throw in there? Yeah. Oak. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have anything creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely oak. There's oak in here. I think that's the most accurate one. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just going to give it a taste. I don't really smell anything in particular. I like to look how it, the legs are on the glass. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No one's really mentioned that before, but I think that. Like this one actually has pretty good, like if you swirl it around. Yeah. Okay. I'm definitely getting oak in there. Yeah. There's some definitely oak. A little leatheriness to me. I don't eat leather that often, but for some reason <laughs> the smell and this flavor seem to align. So yeah, I still, yeah. in the an initial bit, I get a little. I kind of get that a little bit. Yeah. It's on the end. Yeah. That's right. I think there's a. Some like lemon peel to it. There's like a very bitter finish, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm getting that more towards the beginning. Mm. Maybe my tongue's backwards. Yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> You're the anomaly. It's definitely not nutty. Like that's what I noticed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Well, so we have a, a very scientific scale for how we rate these. It is one to eight because we are clever because we have the octopus as our <laughs> logo. Mm -hmm. So one being terrible, worst thing you've ever had. Eight being amazing. Give me nothing else. And we've started to kind of segregate by types of whiskey just because we've tried so much. We'll say like, OK, this is a weeded bourbon. We might compare that to other weeded bourbons, but you can do it however you like in that way. And yeah. yeah, like I said, it's all pretty arbitrary. It's not scientific. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I get to go first. Sure, why not? <laughs> Whatever. Yes, you can set the <laughs> No <stage>. pressure. <laughs> okay, well, I definitely have not tried as many bourbons as y'all, so I don't know if I can be fancy enough to say comparing by type. But 
probably say it's like a five, maybe a four. Yeah. It has like a aftertaste mouthfeel that's not totally. Yeah. It's sharper than I would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I feel the same. Like I could go to the dentist now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, what do you think, Robbie? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking around the same. It's uh, for it being similar price to the uh, the antique one. I think it is much worse than the antique one. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, we had already had that one or I would have gotten that one again. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Amber, it wasn't you. It was us. <laughs> I would give this a, a four, I think, just because of that little weird. Like it's good until it hits that weird aftertaste. And I'm just like, no, I don't like that after that. Yeah, yeah. The lemon is interesting when it gets started and then kind of, I don't know, it just doesn't finish well. Does And 90 proof, I tend to favor things 100 proof, 100 proof or more. And then in the case of of other weeded bourbons, I mean, even if I was to compare this to just plain Maker's Mark, I think I would go for the Maker's versus this. Yeah. And then at this price, it's just kind of ridiculous. I haven't had it in a while because I'm angry over it. <laughs> and now I'm seeing like, I'm not really, I'm not missing out. Like, okay, just spend a little more and get the antique. That one is way better. So I'm going to go 4-2. It's not like bad. It just doesn't wow me in any way. Yeah. I mean, I can almost say 3 where it's like, eh, it's below average because you know what? I'd pick regular makers over it. So I talked myself into it. Three it is. <laughs> okay. Official. There goes our Buffalo Trace sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> well, they have a lot of different stuff. So yeah, we like other stuff. Yeah. I would buy Buffalo Trace over this, to be honest. 25 bucks, 30 bucks max usually. I think so too. Yeah. I think I would too. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we should have just done that. <laughs> it's funny how price impacts things too, right? Because if it was a mm-hmm. inexpensive bottle, you'd be like, oh, this is good. I would buy this again. Right. But then you start to weigh like, huh, what else could I yeah. get for this price point? Exactly. Yeah. If this was like $20, $25 as it used to be, I would be like, well, you know, it's inexpensive. It's for what it is. It's fine. But once you start to like double and triple that, it's no. Doesn't make any sense. That said, we're all going to continue drinking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't waste things. Yeah. I would say that this is the react of whiskey because <laughs> it's popular because it looks cool and people say it's popular and it's expensive. So you're like, oh, this is cool. Let me get it. And it's all a lie. <laughs> Once people found out it had the same mash bill as Pappy, you know, then people started freaking out and and someone figured it out that you can take the three and blend them in a certain ratio and let it sit for a bit and then you technically get the same pappy set up i don't know hmm. so pappy van winkle that yeah i don't know i never tried it but uh that was part of what pushed it to uh get super popular yeah the react of <laughs> this is robbie's job to bash on yeah. react i don't know if you've listened to enough to pick up on that but what i would say is it's like the absolute vodka of javascript frameworks like really well marketed so everybody's buying it but when you get it you're like this tastes like rubbing alcohol but all these other people like it i guess we should keep buying it i don't know yeah yeah Yeah. i think there's some plugins like that in the wordpress world (laughs) Mm, yes yeah which that's a good segue into the WordPress world. I mean, I, like many other developers who have been in the game for a long time, definitely had a period in my career that was like all about that, doing like marketing websites and whatnot. And it was always kind of the starting point. And, you know, you have a, a company based on that. So I'd love to 
dig into a little bit like what's it like to be working in WordPress in 2022? Yeah. Because in 2005, it was very different. I will say, depending upon the room, like sometimes when you say you work in WordPress, it's like, oh, you don't know anything about development. (laughs) 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 Right. It's like, oh, PHP. (laughs) Right, right. Which has been like long looked down upon, but I know that there are a lot of newer frameworks that kind of mm-hmm. create some sanity out of the chaos. Yeah. And uh, Robbie mentioned to me, like he looked up some stats and it like basically powers over half the internet these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the recent number that I saw was 43% of websites are built in WordPress. So it is a huge market share and a very large part of the web, of the CMS world. I think the next biggest CMS might be like Shopify or Squarespace or something that is like 3%. Right. So it's a huge gap too. Yeah. I used to work for the Drupal company. Don't tell them that. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what Drupal is, but it's down lower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. That makes sense. So, no, I mean, I got into WordPress originally. I was doing work in Dreamweaver and like coding PHP sites. Right. And then I got tired of, I lived on Nantucket. It was when my, I just had one kid. And I was like working part-time freelancing as a developer. And I got really tired of people texting me when I was at the beach being like, we changed this sentence. (laughs) And I was just like, no, there's got to be a better way. (laughs) Right. So that was when I discovered WordPress, which was in 2010. And that definitely made a big difference and kind of started getting into the accessibility stuff in 2016. So. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's pretty early days for accessibility. That's great to like kind of mm-hmm. see that need. And again, seeing that there's such a huge market share and how do we help these companies of various sizes address these issues? Yeah, it's been interesting to watch in the very early days. It was pretty much all university clients, government kind of stuff. And I feel like in the past year, two years is when we're starting to hear more from businesses and for profits about accessibility I think there's still a huge hole for this in any sort of content management system beyond WordPress, even like anywhere where there's DIYers. I think there's definitely a huge need for there to be more education because I think still there's a lot of people that don't even realize what accessibility is. But I do feel like in the more recent years, we've been hearing more about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's bubbling up. I want to regress a little bit back because it occurs to me that I'm sure a percentage of our listeners are still kind of early stage in their careers, let's say five years, three years or less. And they've probably learned more just application development with React or Next.js, those kinds of things, and may not be as familiar on the CMS side of things. So like maybe just a brief overview of WordPress and kind of its use cases. Yeah, so WordPress started as purely a blogging platform. It's open source. So you can go to wordpress.org and download a free copy of WordPress to install on any server that you want. It is different from (laughs) wordpress.com, which if people aren't familiar, that's a confusing thing. But wordpress.com is a for-profit company run by a company called Automatic, which is run by Matt Mullenweg, who is one of the original developers of WordPress, the content management system. And they use WordPress content management system on wordpress.com. But really, it's gone much beyond blogging, and you can build very complex websites and even web applications with WordPress. And it gives users the ability to manage all of their content, but it still has a theming system set up, and it allows for plugins, which are third-party 
code packages, basically, that can extend WordPress to do other things. And so it has, as we talked about, a really robust user base that use it for all kinds of different applications. So I don't know that I've used WordPress before. I did some PHP back in the day, but uh, this might be a dumb question. Does it support like dynamic HTML sort of things? Like as a user of the CMS part, can I put in code or am I just editing text and images and stuff? So WordPress itself was almost all built in PHP, but there is a large shift over to JavaScript and React as being part of it. The editor that a user would use, it used to be TinyMC. And so you'd have like a visual tab or you could flip over to an HTML tab. But in, let me think about this, 2018, yeah, I want to say fall of 2018, there's a external project that was built for WordPress, but for other things called Gutenberg, which is a new editor. And actually it's on Tumblr now too. Mm. And I know mm. that Matt Mullenweg's plan is to try and get other CMSs to adopt it. And it's a very different editor that replaced TinyMCE that has like blocks. And all of that is built in JavaScript. And it's like, there'd be a heading block and paragraph block, but there's a code block. So if you want to go insert code, you can insert a code block and then put your code in the code block. Yeah, what I was wondering about is like in terms of accessibility, like I could see if you're allowed to put in arbitrary code and HTML and stuff, you could really shoot yourself in the foot because if you're a casual user and you're just like, oh, I want to put in a widget or something I found and just copy and paste it, it could be, you could ruin all the work that the people who did the setup for WordPress did, you know? Like, so I was just wondering about some of kind of the unique problems that you have accessibility-wise uh, with WordPress. Yeah, so I think in any content management system where a user, a marketing person, let's say, right? Like I'm head of marketing and I go and I want to edit my website. Like accessibility problems are going to happen if you don't have any sort of tools built into the CMS to kind of introduce guardrails. So there are increasingly third-party plugins that are trying to add more control by user role on whether or not you can access certain blocks or modify certain parts of the site, like the header or the footer or the sidebar. That's not necessarily in core WordPress just yet for all of that levels, but I know they're talking about adding it into core, but really any, any content area. So if we think about links that have ambiguous anchor text, you know, where someone just says mm. to visit our web, our contact page, go here and they link the word here. That really can happen on any website where someone who doesn't know, and that's where you want to have some sort of guidance in the application, if possible, to catch those and flag them for users and say, hey, this link is ambiguous. Go give it a better anchor. So, yeah. but yeah, definitely there are problems unique to WordPress, one of which would be that a lot of people who are not coders, they decide they're just going to go pick a theme or they say, I want a calendar on my website. So I'm just going to go look at all these different calendar plugins and I'm going to install one. And if they've never heard of accessibility, they don't know to do things like keyboard test it mm -hmm. and see like, can you get to all the things without using a mouse? And so really like the plugin developers and the theme developers have the ability to either make or break the accessibility of a website. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it is kind of a, uh, you know, a uh, communal effort in a way. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like educating yourself over time to sort of give you that. So you... Your company has a plugin that does this kind of audit. 
Is it an audit like just on what becomes front facing or do you give like an audit when someone's creating content? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so our plugin is freemium. So there's a free version on WordPress.org and it does like posts and pages, which are the main core components of WordPress, not any sort of custom areas. And basically whenever you on post save, so either if you're saving a draft, hitting publish or update, it will run a scan and it does scan the entire page, not just that content area, because we want to catch things that maybe are coded into the template as well. Mm-hmm. And then on the that page edit screen, or if you have the premium version, there's a centralized area where you can go look. You can see a report of, we have more than 40 different checks that we look for. In, in some ways, it's kind of similar to WAVE. If someone's familiar with the WAVE tool, as far as what kind of items we're looking for. And then it puts that issue there and prompts you to fix it. And then if you fix it and you save again, it'll rescan and then it will be gone. And so, yeah, the goal is really to try and provide more of the guidance in editors to the, to the users. We have a lot of developers that use it too, if they're trying to figure out accessibility, because it can also be a good learning tool if you're not really sure what to look for. So. Yeah. I mean, as a developer, I can tell you, I'm not sure what to look for most of the time. <laughs> I feel like it's always a learning process, though. I've been working on this, I mentioned, for quite a while. And this year, I joined the organizing committee for the WordPress Accessibility Day conference. And we have two people on our organizing committee who are blind and they use screen readers every day. And I was taking a lead helping with building that website. And they came in and they were like testing some of the forms. And they're like, this is not, this is confusing. And I was like, I thought it was fine. But, you know, like, I feel like you always learn things. And that's why it's important to have users involved and not just do your own stuff. But I feel like there's always things that you're like, huh, I see what you're saying. Like, I could, I should do this differently next time. Yeah. Yeah. Having different perspectives, like, I think uh, could be really valuable there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like things like uh, even just alt tags on images and stuff. I'm definitely guilty of being like, this is a whatever logo or, a, you know, not describing it and thinking about someone going through all of that with a screen reader. It would be like, this is the most ridiculous website I have ever <laughs> been on, you know, because it doesn't actually describe what's there. Like, I don't know what mm-hmm. their logo looks like unless you tell me what it looks like, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's interesting about logos is you don't always actually want to describe what the logo looks like, right? Because a lot of times the logo is linked to go to the homepage, and it doesn't. It's kind of irrelevant what the logo looks like. What matters more is where the link is going. Oh. Yeah, that's fair. It's true. So the alt text on a logo on your that's linked to your homepage should just be like, "Go to website homepage." Well, there we go. I just learned something that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Rather than describing the image, and the I- image is meant as an action, mm-hmm. describe the action that it. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. I'll drink to that. Yeah. Apparently, you're actually supposed to put empty ones on things you don't want, like, to be described. Correct. Which I recently found out. So that's interesting. Yeah. So the attribute has to be there regardless for accessibility Mm -hmm. checks, but it doesn't check to say that there's a value. Right. Empty string is still. Yeah. So it should be alt equals empty quotes. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get it to not read out the URL to the image. So if you don't have an alt at all, a screen reader will think you just messed up and then it will try, like it'll read the file name, which as you can imagine, sometimes is <laughs> really bad. Frustrating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shutterstock underscore some very long number dot JPG. 
<laughs> yeah, I could see where that'd be annoying. Yeah. We should try navigating the internet without sight one day. Probably learn a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, turn your monitor off. Yeah. And go around. And just go around, see what happens. It's a practice that I always like to recommend to people too is, you know, just turn your mouse off and stick it in a drawer for a day. Mm. And use only your keyboard mm. to navigate around. That would get very frustrating. Yeah, I have two <laughs> mice. I kind of, I have the trackpad and I have this mouse. Yeah. Do you use them both at once? I'm getting older and I'm having a lot of wrist issues. So I've found that this one, it helps me a lot for like all the regular stuff, but for like pinch zoom and all that kind of fun stuff, I need this on my left. So yes. So you have that just for gestures? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm not above admitting <laughs> that. And I've got one of those tented keyboards and everything else too. Like, yeah, getting old sucks. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about that. I have a magic mouse. The other day I was just like, man, my wrist really hurts. I need to get a better mouse than this. <laughs> it's like too flat. So this is the Logitech Lift is what it's called. Logitech Lift for Mac. And it puts your hand in this like, it's supposed to be like the handshake position. I don't know. It's very comfortable. I highly recommend it. Mm. Yeah. Hold that up again. Is it the same one I have at home? Have you seen uh, mine? I have no idea. It has like a mouse, or like a thumb rest and everything. Yeah, it's got like a thumb rest there and it's got all these buttons and stuff. It might be smaller than the one I have. I have one that's like that too. It's also Logitech, but... Yeah, there is a larger version. Yeah. I don't think you have bigger hands than me though, so I think you're just uh, exaggerating. I just got one. I don't like small mice. <laughs> Easier to eat. <laughs> you're not a snake. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, we're way off track here. Have another. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yes. Getting back to one of the things on here that I can go to, unless you had something, Chuck. No, I'll add it after. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So you had mentioned uh, in your your notes that you were big into like awareness and education around accessibility and stuff too. I wonder what your thoughts are around how we can, you know, get it more prioritized in like official curriculum and things for boot camps or, you know, college or wherever the case may be? I don't know. I wish I knew the answer to that. Like, <laughs> this is what we need to do to make it a priority for people to teach accessibility. <laughs> I feel like if I knew that answer, then that that problem would be solved. <laughs> you know, we always have the conversations because even with clients, right? These days, people come to us because they know we do accessibility. So it's, we don't have to have these conversations in the same kind of way mm -hmm. that we used to in the beginning. But in the beginning, when we'd be like, why, you know, why are we saying something about color contrast in this design and telling you your brand color does not work <laughs> and trying to justify it, you know, talking about the percent of people. One thing that I, I really enjoy is, and I don't know if you guys have ever heard the A11Y Rules podcast mm -mm. that Nicholas Steenhout puts out. I have to check it out. That podcast, he's been doing a series for a while now, like over a year, I feel like, where he just does little six-minute episodes where he interviews people with disabilities. And it's all a wide range. And he just asks them three questions, which is describe their disability, talk about challenges they experience on the web, and then what is the one thing they wish designers or developers knew? And that podcast has been really eye-opening for me because getting to hear about other people. Like I learned from that podcast about the Darcy USB, which is a Morse code keyboard hmm. for a gentleman who mm. doesn't have fingers, but he has like a partial fingers on one hand. And so he's able to use Morse code and that is how he engages with the web. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so I feel like just having more general visibility about the broad range of disabilities and 
And also maybe putting real faces, people's faces to things is super helpful. I mean, that was something we used to do with clients sometimes. We'd be like, can you think about someone in your customer base who, you know, might be this, might be colorblind or anything like that. And if you can come up with a human, I think that's helpful. But I don't know, the the curriculum to me is interesting that universities don't teach it as much as they should in design or web development. I used to guest lecture at Colorado State University for their undergraduate web development course. So I saw like the whole syllabus and they never talked about accessibility at all. <laughs> and this was just a couple of years ago. And I just kept thinking, why? You know, you guys in university know you have to be accessible. <laughs> yeah, right. I wonder how much they even teach like HTML though. I feel like the basics get glossed over because they want to have fancy, like logic heavy coding type of things. And they're like, oh, you can figure out HTML later. You can figure out accessibility later. We, we'll just skip that and like yeah. teach you React and stuff. And because I know it was like that for me, like I had one class. Well, there weren't even really web classes at all. <laughs> like it was all do Java and do C and like whatever. But uh, the couple web classes I had, it was like, you know, here's HTML. You can style it with CSS go have fun. Like there weren't, there wasn't much taught about like, they weren't like, this is a button tag and you should use it. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Or like main and nav and like all those kinds of facts. Right. There you go. So that's the natural companion, I think, to accessibility, mm -hmm. which is when you have the conversation about the semantic web, right? Machine re readable web. That's the point of it is that it's read correctly by the machines and therein smarter delivery to you. And I think right there is where you tie in accessibility because they can kind of go hand in hand and here's the semantic web, but now let's layer on the accessible web to that. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to get a little better. And that's where I think accessibility and SEO can go hand in hand a lot because a lot of organizations put a lot of emphasis, rightly so, on SEO. And so sometimes being able to be like, this will help make your SEO better mm -hmm. is helpful as well. But I don't know too, if some of the times the boot camps just go, oh, accessibility, that's a design thing. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And they forget that like the developer has to build it and that it, it goes beyond the color selection and the positioning of elements. There's this whole underlying code element that's required. Yeah, I agree with that because they're not incentivized, right? They're trying to get you hireable in 12 weeks or 18 weeks or whatever it is. And being good at React tends to do that. And I think that's part of the pervasive, like that wave of accelerated developer things that happened over the last few years. I think that that helped push React a bunch. And I think it helped push a lack of fundamentals, you know, like yeah. not understanding native, like vanilla JavaScript APIs, web APIs, and just basic like HTML document structure. So I think you touched on a thing right there around SEO, because I was thinking, oh, well, you know, there are laws in place and there's lawsuits and things like that, which haven't managed to like accurately incentivize even big companies really down this path. I think it's better than it was a few years ago, but probably still a long ways away. But I mean, if Google changed the algorithm and basically prioritized accessible sites in the same way they prioritize mobile-friendly sites, there's a lot of power to that. I think they do some. So I feel like they probably do a little bit. Like if you think about things like bounce rate, mm -hmm. you're probably more likely to have a higher bounce rate on a site that's super inaccessible or like has really bad color contrast. No one can read it, they're going to leave. But I think you're right. I feel like it's going to come 
I have no idea when, but looking at, I mean, Lighthouse got added in, right? Like they are scanning. They have the ability to identify at least some accessibility problems. But yeah, I, I think that would be the big thing. I think on the bootcamp front, companies need to tell, communicate to bootcamps that they want accessibility skills in their developers. Yeah, agree with that too. And that a little bit requires companies realizing that all of their developers need to be accessibility experts. And then it's not just like, oh, this one guy or gal that I hired is going to be our accessibility lead and everyone else can just be a, do their job. Like companies need to realize that accessibility is everyone's responsibility and it saves them money, right? We shift it earlier in the process. But I think if they start communicating that more in their hiring needs, if every job description says you need to understand basic accessibility testing, then I think our training programs are going to start noticing that and are going to start including that in their training. Well, yeah. And then I see it as being shifted both horizontally and vertically in organizations though as well. So that means that up the tree, they got to say that this is a priority for us that like the end product has that built into it. We're not going to get that blowback on it. Like we prioritize that. And then Product organizations are saying when we plan our roadmap, we understand the definition of done for each milestone includes this along the way and we give proper time to it, Mm -hmm. right? We're estimating and giving proper time to it. And I think that they're accelerating features that they think change revenue and are willing to, you know, create this kind of tech debt. And it happens not even just in accessibility, it happens in other things too. So I think it's still a problem too in the way that Mm -hmm. organizations sort of like weigh features and and what happens in in applications. So, Yeah, I think, I mean, it's sort of going back to what we were talking about with WordPress and plugin developers. And I think one of the other areas at least, and maybe this is more unique to WordPress than in the broader web development, web application development ecosystem, but... A lot of people in WordPress are self-taught. They didn't even do a boot camp, <laughs> right? They yeah. they started in WordPress building a blog and then they wanted to figure out how to change the colors. So they Googled something and they learned a little CSS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they were like, wait, how do I move my comments from the top to the bottom? So they Googled something and they found a code snippet they could paste in and they didn't really know what it did, but it worked, yeah. right? And that's like this progression. And so I think like that is a challenge too, especially as those people became self-taught and they learned and they're like, oh, I can, I build a plugin that might be useful to other people. So it's either going to be free or it's a paid plugin or both, but they don't have any formal training. And so I think on that same front, we need to have the users of those plugins creating that same sort of demand and requesting that. And that's something that I've been trying to do more of, like we used to do, or we do accessibility audits. And I used to only give the audit to the client And now I'm like, give the audit to the client. And then I go, look, do they have a GitHub? Do they have a WordPress.org support form? Like, where can I find that I can go also report this to the plugin developer? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the solution is, I tell you, this is horrible. Just uninstall it and use this other plugin instead. But how does that make that plugin A that got uninstalled better? Because that plugin developer will never know. Yeah, they're de-incentivized at that point, right? Yeah. Well, or they don't even know because they might not even know they lost one install and why. Right. Yeah. And so I think there's just this general need to talk about it and how important it is and share information just broadly in general, which is here's the problems that are there. And this is why you should prioritize them. And you mentioned the uh, WordPress 
specific initiatives around this. Like, I also think like at the top, there's some responsibility for evangelizing that across the board as well. Like what gets integrated into core, what gets evangelized by, you know, the big core. Because like you said, yes, it's uh, you have the .org, but you have the .com, you have Matt and Automatic and, you know, they're pressing enterprise solutions. Mm -hmm. So what's in the enterprise solution? What are they, you know, like (laughs) they could be integrating your plugin by default in enterprise solutions and that someone could opt into the, you know, paid or things like that. So I think there's a lot of different knobs to turn there too. And with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. So every year, Matt gives what he calls the state of the word. Mm -hmm. Nice. (laughs) That tells you something about the WordPress ecosystem, that that's what his talk is called. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but he gives a state of the word talk. And last year, I tried really hard. I pressed him a bunch and tweeted and a bunch of other people pressed him. And I was like, you need to say accessibility is a priority and tell people to learn accessibility. And he responded back and he basically said that he didn't want to because Whenever he talks about accessibility, someone always says they're not doing enough or they're not doing it right. And therefore, he must hate people with disabilities, Mm. which I will say there are definitely some negative like people on that front that they just get. So they're like, you're an awful human being because you didn't do this one thing. Right. Right. But that said, like, I think you have to decide as a leader, like those people are edge cases, I think. And most of us recognize that what they're saying is not accurate and still say that this is important and this is a priority. Because I think you're right. Like there is a lot of top down. If we start saying, if they implemented a rule which said we aren't going to allow any plugins with, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something now that's very easily detectable, right? But like hashtag links. So A equals hashtag and there's no role equals button. So we're like, okay, obviously they're trying to use this as a button, but they're not. If we said no plugins with this are allowed in the WordPress directory, we can scan for it automatically. The second you do it, we're going to tell you, you have however many days to fix it or your plugin comes down. Replace it as a, make it a button or add role equals button or something, right? Right. If we made a rule like that, it would be painful in the beginning, but we would have no more hashtag links. Right. Or they'd at least have ARIA on them to help make them a real button, (laughs) closer to a real button. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, we shouldn't use divs for everything? <laughs> and spans. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. See, that's where the JavaScript gets dangerous because it's like, it doesn't have to be anything because I just make it that way with JavaScript. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. Like I found uh, in some client code a few months back, there was like a a div with a role equals button with like an on-click of a something, like basically they were hacking what if you just wrapped an input in a label, and if you click the label, it by default clicks into the input, but they didn't know that. Like whoever wrote it didn't know basic HTML, so they like didn't do that right and like added on-clicks to select it when you click the text. And I was like, ugh. I just deleted all of it and put in like label input, and we're good. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny, right? You probably deleted like 40 lines of code and replaced it with two. Yep. So I think that's, you know, right back to education. Like they just didn't know that because they weren't, they were just taught React and they didn't know anything else. Yeah. Mm. So I want to pivot a little bit. I want to talk about this thing that you've done in life because I, well, I didn't do it to the extreme that you have done, but uh, we tried it. This RV life. Yeah. The TLDR is like, oh, we uh, got a big, we rented a big trailer and we had this plan to like drive cross country and 
all this kind of stuff. And uh, we rage quit in Austin and stored the trailer and just did hotels the rest of the way. So you did better. Why? I want to know why. It was miserable on a lot of different levels. Okay, so our car could do 7,700 pound tow capacity. I think we got a 6,500 pound trailer, which is like 27 feet or so. I was like, eh, okay, whatever. We went from like 25 miles per gallon down to like seven. So we were in the way that we planned the trips. We were like, okay, we'll drive like six hours a day and we'll be here, here, here. Not when you have to stop that often. So then it turned eight to 12 hour drives. I have two small kids. They have to go to the bathroom. They got to go to the bathroom. (laughs) They don't want to sit that long. There's just like all this stuff that just ended up being not great. And we had a couple of okay experiences. Like we stayed on a farm outside of Austin and that was kind of cool and some other stuff. But in general, we were like, this just isn't working for us. We're either going to go home. Oh, and I was driving through storms. So I was driving east <laughs> and there's, there was all these tropical storms. It was during a hurricane, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So then it's like, I've got this giant trailer. I'm driving and I'm just like, this is not cool. So it's just like not pleasant for anyone. And yeah, we eventually were like, okay, we can either take this back or we can just store it. And that's what we did. We just stored it and we went the rest of the way and about our merry old time and hotels are nice. So I don't know. That was my experience with RV life was like, we probably made a lot of mistakes. I'll admit that, but it's almost traumatic. So how was yours? (laughs) Weirdly, I kind of miss RV life a lot. (laughs) We moved from Fort Collins, Colorado to north of Austin in 2017, and we sold our house up there. We bought a trailer and we lived in it on my father-in-law's land for a while. And then we don't homeschool. At that time, we had three kids. We have four now. And we don't homeschool. So we were during school, we were parked on his land. And then anytime they were out of school, we traveled. So spring break winter break. Nice. Although that, that one time I will say taking a, we had a 40 foot travel trailer. We did have a truck, but taking a 40 foot travel trailer to Michigan for Christmas, not a smart idea. <laughs> like Fair enough. everything froze. We were driving back and we had no water. <laughs> oh man. We had to like stop in Shreveport, Louisiana at a campground. And like Chris, my husband went and got a bunch of space heaters and he was like blowing them up under the trailer and like trying to thaw so we could actually like flush our toilet. Yeah. Oh gosh. So that part, not so great, but the rest of it was really good. And then over the summers, we would go on 11 week trips. So basically they'd get out of school, they'd have a dance recital and then we would go on the road and we'd come back two days before school started. And so they have been to every state capital west of the Mississippi, except for somehow we missed Nebraska. And now I guess I have to take a trip to Nebraska, which seems weird. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like if we're going to fill the book, we're going to yes. do that. So I really liked it. It was fun. There's a lot less to clean <laughs> when you live in 40 foot <laughs> square foot space. Right. Yeah. Get a Roomba. It's done in one pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know, there's probably a lot of tiny spaces that a Roomba couldn't get into. Mm, that's fair. We had a cat and a dog in there with us. Mm. The cat I was a little like Neh, about because of the litter box. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 But it was like, I don't know. It was, it was a really fun adventure and we got to see a lot of cool things and they liked it. Then when COVID happened, that was right around the time we had our fourth. And my husband was like, I'm not driving in a pickup truck with four children and one in between us in the front seat. Mm. <laughs> so we sold the trailer. Yeah. 
And we still debate every once in a while if we should buy something that's drivable. Oh. We talked about doing a school bus. Huh. Mm. But it's hard. Our oldest is 13 and she's like getting into dance. And now she's like, I don't want to miss summer because that's when she does all her activities and stuff. So. Oh, I see. Yeah. I'm just saying a school bus is a real commitment. Yeah. I've seen some interesting conversion projects in that. And they're like, that sounds good in theory to me, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like we talked about it because we thought it would be fun. Then we got realistic about our time. So then we started looking at people that will convert them for you. Mm, mm-hmm. But then you you read the horror stories of like they just did everything wrong. <laughs> right. So yeah. I don't know. But that is the one thing I'll say about the trailer. We bought We bought the trailer new because we thought there would be less problems with it. And in retrospect, I would buy used because there were like so many things, which they fixed on warranty. So like our freshwater tank was cracked. Mm. We couldn't store any freshwater. They had to replace it. One of our slides was broken and it took like all this work, but we bought it away from our house. So we had to go back to the same dealer. Mm. And when you live in it and it is literally your house. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we have to go. We have to be out of our house for four days and stay in a hotel. And in order for them to fix our house. <laughs> yeah. So there are some challenges too, but I liked it. It was fun. We got to see lots of cool things. Nice. Yeah. So while we're on this topic, tell us about the uh, Going RV show that you were on. <laughs> yeah. So Going RV, if anyone's not familiar with, it's a little bit like House Hunters on HGTV. It's on Great American Country, which is an HGTV sister station. And we just like randomly, I don't even know how we heard about it. Maybe because my mom watches a bunch of HGTV. Oh, there you she go. She was like, <laughs> you should apply to be on this thing. And it was after we had our trailer. And I was like, okay. So we did. And it and they picked us, which was kind of funny. But they come down. I learned so much about TV. And I will tell you, I've never, I'll never watch any of these shows the same way. Okay. So they filmed our episode in a day and a half. It was a very long day and a half day. Mm, I bet. The before, the shopping, and the after, <laughs> right? Mm. So it's like, they're like, just put on different clothes and do your, put a ponytail on instead <laughs> 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 to try and make it look like it's before yeah. or after, even though it's the same day. <laughs> I'll fake you guys. <laughs> the magic of TV is what you mean. Yes, exactly. And then they would do things like, So they had three different trailers, one of which was similar to ours. It wasn't our exact one, obviously, but it was the same make and model. And then two other ones that they picked and they would film us going through it. They had two different camera people and a sound guy. And then they had a producer and that at first just have us walk through. And then they'd be like, "Okay, now open the door again and say what you said. Only say it this way. (laughs) (laughs) And so you have to do it like five, like everything, like five or six different times. (laughs) Hmm. So it's very interesting. Like my kids have gotten into watching, uh, what is it? America's Got Talent. Mm. And they were filming like one of the after scenes where someone walked out and she like hugged her mom after she didn't get voted off. And I was like, and I said to my husband, I was like, I bet you she hugged her mom like 10 times. (laughs) The first time they were like, your face didn't look happy enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting. My wife had told me about how that's how House Hunters is. Like whenever they 
do that, they've already picked a house. So she's like, yeah, like mm-hmm. watch closely and you can see that they like react more favorably to the one they're going to pick because like they already lived there. <laughs> like You can read them. Oh. Yeah. And it's like, oh, OK, that does make sense. <laughs> All I ever pay attention to is how like the budgets are ridiculous. <laughs> like they're like, oh, we're looking for something in Rome. I want to spend three hundred thousand. I want four bedrooms right downtown. And I'm a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I like the memes that are like, yeah, our, our budget is one point eight million. And I like raise lizards and my wife is like, whatever. I don't know. It's like <laughs> jobs that don't make money. <laughs> That's the Property Brothers one. So for some reason, like Canadian dollars is like two billion dollars per yeah. U.S. dollar or something like that, because it's always Property Brothers are like, well, we're looking for a starter home somewhere around one point five million. Um <laughs> A fixer upper kind of. And so that's the opposite. It's a really weird setup. Yeah. Yeah. It is fun when you visit Canada, though, because like you go have dinner and you're like, that was kind of expensive. But then you get home and you're like, wait, no, it wasn't. Like, here's the actual bill on my credit card. (laughs) It wasn't as expensive you wanted. You got money back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, fun fact, you can go to London and it's the same case right now. Mm. Mm. Thanks, Brexit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like 80 pence to the dollar. Mm. Like first time ever. When I was there last, it was one and a half. So it's cheaper yes. than it would be. Yes. Hmm. So we should all book a vacation in London. Yes. Anywhere in Europe, right? It's just the euro in general is like bad. Yeah, the euro in general is down, but I think the pound is worse than the euro. Well, yeah. It was like equal in the euro or just under, but the pound is like way worse. Right. Turns out when your country's falling apart, your money isn't worth as much. Yeah. <laughs> when you have a prime minister that resigns after like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who other than me really likes European soccer? It's just you. Just me. Huh. Austin has a good team, by the way, Amber. You should check it out. The MLS team there. Okay. You know, so our kids do rec soccer. Mm-hmm. And I see people wearing jerseys from the Austin team. There you go. But I'm always like, oh, there's soccer here. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't actually been. Maybe McConaughey will be there. You know, he's one of the owners. I did not know that. And he's very involved with the team. So, mm. you know, if you need some incentive, perhaps... He is very around in Austin, so he does a lot. Who knows? Someday maybe he'll be the governor. Yeah. I think he has aspirations. Yeah, I was gonna say, wasn't he yeah. wasn't he <laughs> running for something or was he just talking about it? I don't know. To be honest, I didn't actually like I heard him say something and then I was like, eh, I'm not gonna vote for you. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's really listening to what he says. Yeah. But he can sell me a Lincoln real damn good. Round what flat circles. <laughs> That's all I ever think is him looking at that can going flat circles. I don't know what that's a reference to. Is that from a movie? It's from the show he was on, the uh, detective show. The one that was on like HBO or something. Mm-hmm. What was that? I didn't know he was in a show. Oh, yeah. We're weird. We don't have TV. What? Like. At all? Explain. Well, we do have a television and it has an antenna, mm. but we don't pay for like Netflix or Hulu or any of those things or cable. Hey, wow. <laughs> Our kids watch PBS kids. That's probably the most of what I see. And we can watch the news hour. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair and enough. I guess if we wanted to, we could put other things on. It drives my dad nuts every time he, I, he won't visit me at Thanksgiving anymore because he can't really watch football. Mm, right. You just need one of those like digital antennas and yeah. you know, same thing. Yeah. Well, everything should be more a la carte. Like you should be able to say, I want all the football for one day, right? Like have something you yeah. can buy that on, mm. but they don't do that yet. So, well, I think no. he pays for like an NFL package on ESPN. And the last time he visited, he tried to put the app on our TV and make it work. <laughs> and he couldn't figure out how to make it work. And he's very sad. <laughs> mm. 
And he's like, he's very into the Patriots. And as I was growing up, we always watched football and he's been sending my kids Patriots jerseys and shirts and like everything since they were born. And like, he'll call and he'll be like, there's a game today. Are they wearing their shirts? And I'm like, dad, we don't like, they don't know what that is. (laughs) Yeah. Are you from the New England area? So I was born in New Hampshire, Okay, but I mostly grew up in Iowa. Oh, but I have a lot of family in New England. Yeah. Right. So, and he, so that makes sense. He's in New Hampshire. Yeah. I haven't noticed any particular accent. So I was like trying to kind of nail that down. Yeah. I definitely don't have the Texas. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't think a lot of people in Austin have the Texas. So, yeah. No, not too many. I mean, there's a lot of people like, like me here that aren't actually from here now, which makes all the yeah yeah native Austinites not very happy. <laughs> right. It's been a hot space for a few years, for sure. I used to go to South by all the time. And yeah, they're, they never really changed the infrastructure for the growth, though. It's like all these people are moving here and there's still like one highway in and out of downtown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. To stack more highways on top like they do in New Jersey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> or L.A., right? They do that in L.A. Yeah. Kind of thing. Spaghetti highways. Food for thought. You can get on the planning commission and fix that. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that might be very interesting, actually, but that also sounds like a lot of work. Oh, yeah. Well, I just consider an accessibility issue. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. It is an accessibility issue. Tied it together. So. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just focusing on fixing the web. When I fix the web, then I'll go fix the highways in Austin. Or I'll be so rich because I fixed the web. Have fixed the web. That yeah. I will no longer live in Austin <laughs> and I'll go live somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a world, well, at least a U.S. regulated problem, European regulated problem. I mean, that's a pretty decent market share. Yeah. So there's a lot to go get. Ontario has a lot of very strict, like their hmm. laws are actually stricter than ours here, too. Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, didn't they basically outlaw everything that Google does in like the UK? Like you just can't use Google anything? Mm. I don't know about the UK, but in so in EU, yeah, there's really strict privacy laws with GDPR. And I know Germany has said like Google Analytics and Google hosted fonts and things like that are illegal mm. because it sends data fonts? outside. The fonts send data? Oof. I guess it cookies people. Come on, Google. <laughs> I don't know. Probably usage data or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like downloading an image and then getting kind of a, a send back header as to like you get some information around who's using it. Yeah. So I could see that yeah. getting collected. I guess free stuff is never free, right? No. Well, you can self host Google fonts, mm-hmm. which is actually better for performance. And this is the thing I always think is weird. Like when we we're talking about SEO. <laughs> And Google really cares about page speed. But if you run a page speed test on any website that has analytics or tag manager or Google fonts or all that, like you get hit oh, yeah. and it dings your score so much. And I was <laughs> like, this is Google stuff. <laughs> yeah. You would think they would allow their own, like if from Google, don't ding you. <laughs> yeah. Well, from what I understand though, products don't enter mingle necessarily there's often not overlap mm-hmm. so analytics has its own things that it's doing and page speed could have its own things that it's doing and they may not align yeah i mean that makes sense it's probably massive teams yeah that never talk to each other no yeah 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 not a big company but right. yeah yeah so moral of that story self-host your google font if you want to use one yeah or just use system fonts. I think that's what anyone should take out of this episode. A, use your plugin. 
B, self-host your fonts. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, when we converted our site to Astro recently, like I was testing it out to see what was faster, that or Nux 3 or, you know, various frameworks. And we were getting like an 80 on Lighthouse. I was like, this is terrible. Like, I don't even put anything in here yet. This is not a good framework. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, look, here's some Google fonts that included in the boilerplate. Delete them. Oh, 100. Okay. <laughs> um, that you aren't even using. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hard thing with any of those themes or templates is that they put a lot of stuff in and preload a lot of things. Mm-hmm. The block libraries too, if you're adding libraries, because you're like, I need an accordion block. And then you go download something that adds like, I don't know, 12 or 15 different blocks because you only needed one. Yeah. And then it loads JavaScript for all those blocks and styles <laughs> for all those blocks on every single page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Sounds like WordPress needs some like pre-build tools. Shake out everything you're not actually using on the page. Yeah. Tree shaking. Yes. Yeah. There we go. We've been doing more of that when anything custom that we build. We enqueue the styles and the JavaScript on the block level. So if you don't use the block on the page, then it won't load any of that stuff. Nice. But I, I guess maybe the plugin developers haven't figured that one out yet. Yeah. It's easier to just load it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And if you're not being paid to build the plugin, maybe you're not, you know, incentivized to continue to refine. I don't know. Yeah. Definitely that. Let's not forget all of these things people put out for free are for free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like the fact that they've shared with us at all is great. You can always fork it and change it and, you know, do whatever you need to do. Yeah. Food for thought there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, on that note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we are about at time here. Before we wrap up, is there anything we missed? Anything you would like to plug? Anything like that? So if you are interested in learning more about accessibility in WordPress, but also accessibility in general. I run the official WordPress accessibility meetup. It's twice a month. It's virtual on Zoom. It's live captioned. Sometimes we have sign language interpreters, but not always. Depends on sponsors. So check that out. WordPress accessibility meetup. You can find it on meetup.com. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.